0: Do it. Do it. Welcome to the Austin Otaku Podcast, hosted by Jesse McDonald and Keith Goode.
1: Welcome back to the Austin Otaku Podcast, everyone. My name is Jesse McDonald and joined, as always, by the ever-flatulent Keith Goode. Hello. Uh how's it going? It's good. How are you, man? Doing well, thank
0: you. Yeah. <laughs> you you know when you said your name this time it was like Jesse McDonald's. It's like, you know, you uh,
1: going... re- I let my my southern drawl come out. Crap. <laughs>
0: yeah, I love it. No, it's fantastic. Let's leave it so people don't know what to call you. Just like yeah, when yeah. they look at like when they look at my last name, they call me
1: Keith Goat. G- I was going to say, someone on a call called you Goody the other day, and this is a work call. Goody, yes. and then we got a Goad, I believe.
0: Yeah, I've had Goad in the past, and like, uh, you know, whatever. I and mean, just just, just as long as you get the G right. Yeah, I guess because that, I am a G.
1: I'm an old school G. Keith really. Jode. Jode. <laughs> that's new. That's new. All right, I'm going to make that Oh, damn it. Well, All the right, war begins. G-
0: <laughs> how How was your week this week Mac it was
1: good uh, you know busy as ever maybe maybe even busier than normal. We've got an mm-hmm. executive presentation that's going up possibly to the c m o of i b m so that's that's exciting but made me incredibly busy but it's good uh, a lot of good visibility for our team. How about you I need a vacation
0: <laughs> that's I've... that's the short of it i I think I'll leave it at that. I need a vacation.
1: I feel you. I feel bad coming three months off of paternity leave and go, man, I wish I could take some time off.
0: You know, maybe we need a sponsor that can send us on vacations.
1: Oh, very true.
0: Brought to you you by the entire city of Puerto Vallarta.
1: (laughs) Cancun, here we come. (laughs) Awesome, man. Well, I'm I'm very excited for this week's guest. Uh, This one's going to be a good one. Our guest today is Kevin Mullet, Director of Visibility and Social Media at MarketShare, which focuses on multi-location search and social at scale. Kevin is also a prolific speaker in the industry. Kevin has a passion for both connecting people and chewing gum, but he's all out of gum. When Kevin is not helping people connect on the web, he's also a passionate photographer and avid Star Wars fan. Welcome to our show, Kevin Mullet. Kevin Mullet.
2: <laughs> Well, thank you for having me. I'm uh, glad to be here and hope nobody gets harmed in the process of this
1: recording. We'll do our best. We like to keep things as harmless as possible, but sometimes that's not a guarantee.
0: On our end, it's fine. It's the gerbils running in the little wheels that power this engine that might get hurt, though.
1: I'm willing to take the risk. The Internet's (laughs) made of tubes, and we can't hurt the gerbils running through the tubes. It's
0: a series (laughs) of
2: tubes! It's not like some truck that you can just dump
0: things on.
1: Yeah, some people would argue. Some people would argue that you can
0: dump a lot of stuff on the web, and they, in fact, do dump a lot of stuff on the web. There's been a lot mm. of
2: dumping on the web,
0: yeah. <laughs> this is true. This is true. That makes our jobs as SEOs that
1: much uh, more fulfilling, I guess. Yeah, or hard, whichever. Or, or hard. <laughs> so, Kevin, kicking us off, tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of, prefer per- Good Lord. Personally and professionally, not one word. (laughs) (laughs) So I can't roll them, roll them together. You can Um, if you want. I sure tried.
2: I don't know. I mean, I I am a fairly affable guy. Some call me avuncular. um, For those of you that are not familiar with that word, uh, having a nature of being an uncle. Uh, As a matter of fact, a lot of people call me Uncle Kev, not joking, like within the industry. Uh, locally specifically. Uh, but I do really enjoy, uh, talking to people, engaging with people, uh, helping them solve their problems, answer their questions, try to entertain a little bit in the process, maybe evoke some emotion and thought, uh, which is largely what content should consist of, right? And that's another passion of mine is content, uh, which goes along with search and social quite nicely, obviously. Um, love movies and actually I have a I have a lot of things that I have done in the past that I really enjoy. So I I'm I'm fairly easygoing in that regard.
1: Sounds like a I've, full life. Yeah. <laughs> I've always found um, that to be true.
2: I mean, I started running a bulldozer when I was 8. I had an awesome childhood. I had mini bikes and snowmobiles and um I was allowed to play with blow torches and hammers and so forth like that and power tools. Um, did body and paint work for a while. I was a ski technician for a few years or I'm sorry for a year because I just wanted to go be a ski bum. Um, what else? (laughs) I mean, I've done all kinds of, uh, crazy things like that. So, yeah.
1: And it's, it's awesome that you said that you're kind of an easy loving guy, kind of people know you as uncle Kevin, you, you really are passionate about connecting people. I've always thought very much of you in that regard because when I was first getting into the industry and, kind of getting to know people and trying to get my name out there. Uh, it it was around the time that you were a co-host of social chat and you guys had me on um, as a guest, which was, was huge. It was the first time I'd ever really spoken outwardly in the industry. And you guys were so, so warm and, and compassionate and, and just cool to let someone as unknown as me at the time to, to be on the show. So I've always really greatly appreciated that.
3: Well, that's,
2: I mean, that's great to hear Jesse. And, and I'll, I'll let you in on a little tip here or a little inside info. Uh, Alan connect, uh, who he and Michelle started mm-hmm. that. Um, I was, I took a year of where I was on every social chat for that year. Pretty much I might have missed one or, you know, one or two here and there. Mm-hmm. But, um, and I spent an entire year going to social chat for the purpose of doing nothing else but adding value to that chat. I didn't try and promote anything. I just showed up. I tried to lift up whoever was there and, you know, put in some valuable pieces of information. And I remember hearing from Alan and Michelle even thinking, like, who in the heck is this guy?
3: Where did he come (laughs) from?
2: So having been there myself, I understand that everybody has to start somewhere. And everybody is going to be able to provide value somehow. You just have to give them the opportunity and find out what they can provide value in. Totally. And it, it was it was through Alan and Michelle that I actually got my first speaking gig on the national you know stage. I had mean, done a lot of local and you know regional type stuff, but uh, it was uh, S, uh, all things social in Toronto or something like that. And Alan asked me to come because of social chat.
3: That's so awesome. I guess Back. all to say
2: is that turnabout's fair play. Um, it's, it's only right to pass that on to others then.
1: Totally. And I've, I've tried to take that spirit as well. And I know Keith does the same. Of if Absolutely. If, if there's somebody in the industry that's they're they're just too smart to not be known or not to have their voice out there. I, I try to boost them as much as possible.
0: Yeah. And, and I, is- I, I've done that before in, in in the past a few times and, and, generally speaking, I look for talent who are interested in in kind of, uh, I guess, expanding their knowledge set, but also expanding their exposure out there. And I'm more than happy to give them opportunities. And I've done that for a few people. Some people didn't take advantage of it and some people did. And, you know, it's really all we can do is reach out to people and give them an opportunity. And if they don't take it, they don't take it. Can't take it personally. Totally. some people
2: don't take it some people squander it some people turn it back against you but we can't control those factors all we can do is uh put put it out there because if you do that enough time uh the reward the reward will come along with that.
0: it it's just the, so the tldr is is that we're all three nice guys we like That's to think we're so saying.
3: we're just <laughs> dog <on> nice guys <laughs>
0: Somebody praise us. Love us. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, obviously, um, I'm sitting here looking at you on my screen and obviously the viewers aren't going or the listeners aren't, are not going to be able to see this because they won't have video access at this point, maybe sometime in the future. But I'm looking over your left shoulder there and I am seeing a boatload of equipment that I am downright jealous of at this point because i um while i i certainly don't I, while i don't have um i don't have your chops uh i i do fancy myself at least an amateur photographer and um i think our venn diagram intersects at photography and i'd, I'd really like to get sort of a sense of when you got into it what sorts of photography that you're you're into and um have an idea of what that, what that does for your life in general?
2: Um, wow. Okay. So, um, first of all, don't covet my gear, um, because the gear <laughs> doesn't, doesn't produce the image. Absolutely.
1: Um, Thank we, you.
2: We can talk about that more in depth here in a minute. Um, sure. but, um, you know, I, I started photography in high school. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm just a young, young buck. Uh, so that was just, you know, a couple of years ago, mm-hmm, dozen, mm-hmm. dozens of years ago. Uh, anyway. <laughs> and, um, so I started with film and, uh, the everybody learns differently. And the problem was based on the way that I learn things and that is good for me. Film was very difficult. Mm-hmm. And, um, I ended up in one year, I ended up shooting 100 rolls of film. Now, if you do the math on that, um, you talk about how much a roll of film costs, and then mm-hmm. you have to process it to get the uh, most people, are like some of the younger people are like, what are you even talking about? Yeah, but you had to shoot the film, then you had to send it away, or later you got to go do a one-hour, and then you got it back. You're million minimum into each roll and I shot a hundred rolls and out of that out of that count I had maybe 10 pictures that were really good pictures because the way my brain works is I have to do a thing and then immediately adjust based off of what I see. Digital so some people say well digital's cheating. Well no, digital just allowed me to learn the way that I am comfortable learning for it to stick the way that that resonated with me which was also why I wasn't terribly good in in school because it bored me to death. They were not mm-hmm. teaching in a way that my brain was able to absorb. Um so anyway, so I got started with that, I I stopped shooting after that year, that I shot 100 rolls of film because I was frustrated, and then when digital came out, um, this was about the time I had, I you know had my daughter and a family, and I couldn't really afford lenses and all of that kind of stuff. So I tried to use point and shoot cameras, but I could never get what was in my mind to show up, and because the equipment in that particular case was uh, at that time point and shoots just couldn't do it right now you can do it with a phone right if you really yeah. want to you can do it with a phone most of it okay so anyway um i got my first like real digital uh slr camera i think it was 2008 uh 2009 and man from then on it's just been it's just been a ride to try and learn and progress and figure things out and yeah. uh, so anyway, yeah
0: i i get it i totally get it and uh, and you're right about the phone uh back in the before time before the pandemic <laughs> uh we uh, there 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 were things um And young people may not know what this is because they've been stuck in the house for their whole lives. But um, we used to have things called photo walks here in Austin. And we would get groups of both amateur and professional photographers to take a tour around Austin, taking random photos. And at the end of the day, uh, everybody would submit their favorite photo to a panel of judges who would then select the best photo taken of the day. And I just remember walking around with these guys with just – Huge backpacks full of gear, just amazing telephoto lenses and all of these great wide angle lenses and beautiful cameras and four or five different bodies (laughs) that they they had in their backpacks. And the person who won that day in particular was a person shooting with an iPhone. (laughs) It it was it was a teenage girl. She might have been 17 at the most who won the photo walk (laughs) she shot with an iPhone. So it's an amazing time right now uh, where you have this incredible photo equipment in your pocket.
2: Well, and the, and the, the thing to extrapolate from that, I mean, like being geeks, we could sit here um, by the way, my license plate says I am a space G three, (laughs) three K. So if you see that humming down the road, but the, as geeks, we could take that and we could say, okay, well, was the iPhone photo truly the best that day? Well, by mm-hmm. what criteria? Mm-hmm. Who were the judges? What were the judges looking for? And when when I was doing web development back in 1998, 99, 2000, or whatever, one of the things that I specialized in was pro- producing web pages that were what people wanted to see that were not agency delivered right the agency was trying to win awards them winning an award did not necessarily equate to more business the person winning based off of in this case an iphone does not mean that that would sell that image would sell it simply appealed to the people who were doing the judges judging right at that time now i'm not saying you can't do Great photography via iPhone or Android device that will sell because you absolutely can. There's people doing it. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is, is that there's a whole lot of variables involved, and the gear is simply a means to the end,
3: mm-hmm. right? Yeah.
2: Um, so people get way too wound up about gear. I ended up because this is the this is what people are going to ask. This is what people are thinking in their mind right now is, what do I shoot? Okay, I've always been a Canon guy. Had nothing to do Ooh. with the brand other than the fact that that's what I owned, mm-hmm. right? I started in film with that, which meant that lenses fit, which meant that flashes worked. It, it just, it was a thing, right? And from a, from a service standpoint, they always took care of me. Um, a couple of years ago, uh, Sony came out with this, this brand new camera called the a7 III, And I was getting ready to take a solo trip for 20 days out west. And I decided that this camera was so hot, it was on back order, and I knew some tricks to find where it was in stock. So I thought, I'm going to, Canon hasn't released their new camera yet. I'm going to buy this. It's cheaper than renting one. And if I absolutely do not like it, I will sell it and, and be at less cost than renting one. Mm hmm. I'm still shooting it today okay? <laughs> because the, the gear doesn't matter until it does. Yeah. And you yeah. have to reach a certain point to where, you know why you need something different and how that's going to benefit you. And in, in this very, very specific case, the Sony had a better dynamic range in low light and throughout for recovery of shadows. Okay, I'm speaking Greek to some people, but um why it looked it saw things more like your eyes do than right. the Canon did, so it was easier to process. And for nighttime shooting, which I was getting into, low light photography like the Milky Way and uh photography, um it had less noise at a at any given settings. Right. Okay. That meant I could do more, that my creative vision was easier to accomplish that 's the total reason why I got it, it has nothing to do with brands
0: absolutely and I was actually amazed at how slowly the the big names in cam- uh, cameras uh, were in releasing mirrorless bodies. Uh at Nikon, I, I still to this day, I don't think Nikon has released anything comparable to what Sony has has pushed out, what Fujifilm has pushed pushed out. Um, they really were slow on the uptake for that. And, um, yeah, I totally get it. I shot Nikon mostly when I had DSLRs, m- mainly because Nikon's handled low light better than Canon at the time. And I ended up I was mostly shooting concerts and uh, night events, and mm-hmm. I, I found that at the high ISOs that you had to shoot at in many cases, uh, you were getting a tremendous amount of noise that I would have to clean up in Lightroom or something along those lines. And so with Nikon, I uh, didn't have that problem. With the Fujifilm X-T2, which I'm shooting with now, um, I'm I'm also not running into that problem. I'm just amazed at how high on the ISO I can get without running into noise issues. It's, it's really Funny. amazing.
2: Pretty much, uh, by the way, Nikon now has the Z6 and the Z7, um, which are pretty close, uh, In mm-hmm. arguably in some ways better and arguably in some um, some ways not. But pretty much what people need to understand right now is, is that you could go out and you could buy pretty much any brand manufacturer's camera on the market and create spectacular work, um, save for a few very... Very very specific uh types of photography, so for example, landscape photography what I do most of um you i mean you literally can go buy anything and you can great get great uh, photo, uh landscape photos um, if you use a camera phone uh you can get great landscape photos if you learn how to process those, you can improve that even greater mm-hmm. now I'm not talking about compositions or fake, fake photography or complete artwork. Let's call it that.
3: Okay. I'm not
2: (laughs) saying that's bad. I'm simply saying it's different. Right. But what people need to understand is, and this could spark a a whole storm. um, Cameras do not see what our eyes see. Mm -hmm. So there is no such thing as straight out of camera being exactly what you see. Not only because the cameras cannot see what we see, but because every camera manufactured has people behind it that have already made decisions on what the image will look like without your input. That is why uh, even within the same ecosystem like iPhones, that you will have a different look across different models. That, mm-hmm. And then you have an Android, and they've decided a different color science and a different warmth, or blue, or green, or Nikon or Sony. And so this idea that that it's just right out of the camera is is just not based in scientific fact. Um, right. Because even our own eyes, somebody's looking through contacts, somebody's looking through eyeglasses, so. What my goal is, is to try and make the image look as good as I saw it, as close as I saw it to, with maybe a few liberties of making it how it made me feel, because it is my artwork. Yeah. Now, that does not include, that may include getting rid of a telephone pole I don't like. I'm sorry, if you don't like that, it's just a man put, uh, a man put, I'm using air quotes, sorry put that telephone pole there and I don't like it there. Yeah, And, and now if it changes, because we're not talking about, uh, we're not talking about um, photography for journalism. We're talking about for pleasure. And if I don't like that object there, I will remove it. Right. Um, but anyway, there's now that's not how I feel about portraiture. So I occasionally will do like a senior picture shoot or something like that no weddings. No, no <laughs> wedding
0: at all. <laughs> so no
1: capes of photography. No, no bride no. for you. Gotcha.
2: No, not doing it. But, um, if I do portraiture, I always start by telling people if it's part of you, it stays. Mm. If it's temporary, like zits or something like, you know, whatever like that, then I, I may reduce it or remove it depending on what it is. But if if that's what you look like, that's what I'm going to give you back.
0: Well, just so you know, uh, it, it, just in case you're ever taking pictures of me, um, <laughs> the uh, the extra thirty pounds is temporary. So just go ahead and yeah, it's not that off. I, I don't
2: it. have that kind of insurance on my camera. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> so what you're telling me is that the the you, when you do uh, your landscape photography, you're not pulling. Uh generally you're not pulling to the extent of someone like a, a Trey Ratcliffe who no, who really, no. really embellishes his photos quite a lot. You're you're getting as close as you possibly can to the nature of reality without having something imposing like a man made telephone pole in it.
2: Yeah, not generally speaking. Now I reserve the right as an as an artist, um, as a creative to occasionally take liberties. And, and, but I, I don't do that a lot. Now, an example of, of where I would do that is, um, I, I'm, I know you guys have seen some of my Milky Way photography.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, look, we have this man made problem called light pollution, and it's a real thing. And it yep. didn't exist in nature until we created the problem. And that means that, uh, if you go back, you know, 200 years ago, our Earth wasn't glowing like a radioactive uh, wasteland, okay? <laughs> and so you could see the stars more easily. You could you could actually see the colors of the Milky Way. The colors exist in the Milky Way. So what what I will do is to cut back on the atmosphere and the haze and um, the light pollution to try and have people see what the Milky Way would look like if we did not have that light pollution. It's Now, I'm not creating things where they didn't exist. I'm not adding in colors that weren't there. Uh, but I am def- definitely trying to negate the man-made issue of light pollution.
1: Awesome. Um, So this is awesome. I'm very excited to con- continue talking about this. But we're at our halfway point, which... Because there's been no format change, means we are at the Tell Me Something Good segment of this show.
3: Tell me something good.
1: Mm. Yay. Yay me. Wait. (laughs) (laughs) One one day Chaka's going to pay you for this one, man.
0: Oh, she might. I'd just like to be visited by Chaka Khan, just to shake
1: her hand. (laughs) She seems like she'd be pretty awesome. Chaka Khan, not yet a sponsor. Or not a sponsor, yet. Rufus, not a sponsor yet. (laughs) So, Kevin, as the guest for this week, will you you do the honors and let us know what your your otaku recommendation is?
2: Absolutely. Um, Quite a number of years ago, I happened upon Charles Foster Wallace's This Is Water commencement speech, which was given in 2005 by him uh, to uh, Kenyon College. And uh, to say that it changed my life is an understatement. Um, I don't expect that it would necessarily have that impact on everybody, uh, but I definitely think that it's a, a YouTube video worth watching uh, because it really helps you to differentiate what you perceive is happening versus the alternate ways that you could think of what is going on in front of you and it's it's very insightful
1: that's awesome that's that's probably one of the most genuinely helpful recommendations we've had on the show so far so that's great the most life-changing for sure for sure yeah yeah so How about you, uh,
0: jesse? what's uh what's the otaku recommendation from
1: jesse Macdonald? oh god that's gonna haunt me for a while um, so for we've talked a little bit about it on previous episodes, but when I was in college, uh I actually went to school for graphic design, and through that, we had to take a certain amount of electives um uh through the, through the just general process and I kind of cheated the system a little bit uh because there were only two two photography classes uh offered by the art department um both of them were film based um and so I, I was like, okay, that's that's better than painting, that's better than sculpture for for my personal artistic taste let's let's do it." uh so took the classes, ended up letting them or getting the the art department to create two to three. I can't remember yeah, three more. uh so I ended up taking five photography classes, which, if you do the math, that means I have the equivalent of a minor in photography, but didn't have the history class to back up the official minor. So oh, because of that, I became a big fan, which is why I was so excited for this show. Long, long way of saying that while I was in school, one of the things that really got me interested in the medium itself was the Hol- Holga 120 in. Um, oh. For those that don't know, a Holga is a plastic camera, basically super affordable. You should be able to get one for 20 to 50 bucks at most. They got a little popular, so the price went up. It takes 120 film, so uh, larger than the normal 35 negative. It's a 6x6, six six. Um, but it's an incredibly interesting format. It, it forces you into a world of restrictions. Um, a, you have the film element, but B, there's not a lot of, of adjusting you can do. Uh, not a lot of actual light adjustments can be made you can buy some attachments that will allow for some zoom and some, some macro and micro conversions, but past that it's pretty much what your eye sees. And on top of that, it it can add a lot of, a lot of interesting lighting effects like vignetting naturally through light leaks, um, which mine dropped. So it had a really interesting light leak attached to it. Um, so that's my recommendation. If anyone's looking to get into photography, that's what I found to be the easiest for me. Um, so yeah, that that's mine. What what about you, Keith? I thought hard about it this
0: week, and um, I've actually, the, as busy as you and I have been at work, and um, the stress that I think everybody's undergoing during the pandemic, and we're seeing each other less, and we're dealing with a lot more stresses. I have become a f- fairly obsessed. <laughs> Let's just put it this way: <laughs> I've become fairly obsessed with my sleep, um, and I've I've really. Uh, began to to try to measure it as, as effectively as I can. So my recommendation this week is going to be what rests on my finger every single day. It's called the Aura Ring. That's spelled O-U-R-A. And this is a Finnish uh, creation. It is a ring that is a uh, – basically it's a tracker of sorts. Uh, it's a, a ring that fits around whatever finger you want it to fit around. They recommend you get a size that fits across most fingers on your hand. And inside are a a number of sensors, Um, and it basically tells you three things uh, every day. It tells you your activity. So it's not necessarily a heart rate monitor per se, though it will measure your heart rate, Uh, but it will tell you how how active you were. It will tell you how well you slept throughout the night. Did you toss and turn? How many hours did you get good REM sleep, deep sleep versus light sleep? Um, How many times per night do you get up? Uh, and then it'll tell you your restfulness score at the beginning of each day, and it'll tell you how ready you are. Um, It's actually not restfulness, it's your readiness score. It'll tell you how ready you are at the beginning of the day uh, to take on the day. And, of course, we can all usually feel that, but we can't necessarily uh, quantify that. So it's kind of a, a really neat way to track your sleep. Find habits throughout the day that contribute to a better night's sleep or a worse night's sleep. So I can always tell when I've maybe had too many Uh, bits of alcohol i've had maybe i should have had uh, just one drink instead of two or i worked out too hard at the gym uh or i didn't i didn't take my daily walk for example um and because it'll tell me uh basically yeah your heart rate uh didn't settle down until four o'clock in the morning uh for example uh so it i I love the ring or a ring o-u-r-a ring.com if you want to check it out not a -A 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 sponsor
2: Point of order, Keith, let's be honest. These were not bits of beer. These were bites of beer. <laughs> you're, not, you're not fooling me one bit on that one. But, uh, it was, actually, what's interesting is um, um, I hate sleep. From the time that I was a kid, um, I absolutely uh, hate going to sleep. Now, I'm not saying I don't need it. <laughs> I'm saying that I hate the activity. And it's a waste
1: have. of time.
2: It is a waste of time, of valuable time.
1: I uh, was evidently the same way as a kid and my daughter is now. We both sleep and we sleep well, but man, I hate it. I wish I didn't have to do it.
0: What if it's not until we're asleep
1: that we're actually awake? Major Whoa. style. <laughs> well,
0: if that's the case,
2: um, then I'm doing it wrong. <laughs> like, not, because I, I i never feel that way uh about that but anyway yeah
0: nice great episode good recommendations guys and uh, <laughs> i will provide links in the blogs to all of the stuff recommended and tell me something good,
3: tell me something good.
1: <laughs> so getting back to photography a little bit um you've You, Matt Soltla and Marty Weintraub have become really good photography buddies um, over the years. I mean, you guys are good friends already, but you've you've really bonded over this and recently uh, took a trip to Norway and some amazing photos came out of that. Can you tell us a little bit about what that experience was like?
3: So
2: the whole thing kind of started um, as I would go to conferences, I would... Uh, because I was into photography, I would stack a day in front or a day behind to just go in that area. Um, I would use one of my vacation days. I'm already there. Um, And then I would, you know, do some photography. Well, then I think it was Social Pro in 2015 in Vegas, where I had been there several times. And I just, I, I'm just not a big fan of being in Vegas. And so I thought, um, okay, I, I, I'm going to disappear out into the, into the desert there. Uh, think of all kinds of vultures and, and things circling me or whatever, but I didn't care. I was going to disappear and go do some photography. So I rented a vehicle and, and I went and did that. Well, then as I got to know Marty and Matt better, when they would be a, particularly Matt early on, I'm like, Hey, I, I want to go shoot downtown do you want to come with me you know i mean let's let's we both like this let's go do that and then uh i was speaking at zenith one year and marty found out that i liked photography and he wanted you know we we both kind of wanted to hang out doing that and it really blossomed into this this very cool um this cool thing so when i would go to conferences like the one year at uh, 2016 Social Pro, I think it was, we were in Seattle, and I rented a vehicle, and I went on this this journey to a place called Shai Beach, which is along the Pacific Northwest there, and it's a five-mile hike, and here is this fat guy with 40 pounds worth of gear and 10 pounds in my hand and a tent that I've flown halfway or completely across the country in, and... I'm going to, to, to this beach with nobody with me or whatever. And, I, and it, was, it was spectacular. And as I talked to Matt and Marty about that, we wanted to start sharing that, those kind of adventures. And so we went to Amsterdam the previous year. And then, uh, as you mentioned, we went to Norway. And um, it was, you're taking something that you really love to do and then you're doing it with people that you love to be around, and you're you're doing it outside of the professional mode, right? So it's a deeper connection because this isn't just us talking about things that we talk about every day: social media, search engine optimization, localization, blah 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 blah. <laughs> you know, now you're talking about something that takes you away from that and. I mean, when we were sitting there under the northern lights, all laughing and giggling because of what was happening above the Arctic Circle, we're standing above the Arctic Circle as a group and looking up and taking these pictures. uh, It is very hard to, to fake that that was not just an absolutely moving experience.
0: So, are you um are you on Flickr as well, or are most of your posts on Facebook? Because what I'd like um, to do is, I think I think most listeners would love to see some of these photos. Because I I re- remember seeing the photos not only from Amsterdam the year before, but also from Norway. And man, wow! I mean, really, what an incredible adventure it looked like. But the future, the photos are absolutely beautiful.
2: Thank you, thank you, Keith. I appreciate that. Um, I have always enjoyed the journey of learning how to do things and um photography is to me is very much like uh fishing Uh, people can tell you a good spot but that doesn't mean that you're going to catch a keeper there right uh you can go out and fish all day and not catch a doggone thing Mm -hmm. Um, it's like hunting um you can get to the tree stand early you can stay late um, because you know that's where you have to be patient, and you have to wait for the right moment. It's not just about walking out, taking a picture, and going back and that's how most people do their photography anyway, I'm getting too far afield here, but um for me it the experience the journey of of continuing to better oneself is and get good at the photography and have people comment on it. Not for vanity reasons, but as validation that you're improving. That's a key distinction. Vanity is, is, I'm not saying vanity is completely bad, but if you look at it instead as if, if people aren't commenting on it, then is it truly comment worthy? Right? And isn't that like your comp, your content and your social media posts, right? If it's just like everybody else is doing and nobody's sharing it or linking to it or whatever, is it comment worthy? Is mm. it shareable? Is it share worthy? And so I've been on this journey to try and make things that are share worthy. Anyway, um, but yeah, they can see it at Instagram. I'll be real honest. I haven't posted a lot to Instagram because the engagement on Instagram has just proven to be abysmal of late. Um, and I found myself really dreading prepping the photos for Instagram because when I do it for work, I am thinking of all of the correct hashtags. I'm thinking of, a, 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 an engaging post to go with it. Uh, people tend to like it when I tell a story about, you know, Matt, Marty and I were out here and we were fighting, not wanting to be out, but we went anyway. And, <laughs> you know, and you tell that, that narrative and that story, that pulls people into that situation. Um, and uh, that takes time to do it good, to do it mm. well. And so I don't post as much there. I find that I, I end up posting a lot on Facebook, believe it or not. Yeah. Huh. Uh, Flickr, I do have a Flickr account. haven't posted there in years.
0: Ah, gotcha. Yeah.
2: They even pay for the dagun thing. I pay for the pro account,
0: which. Yeah. I yes. Hate. Same here. I, I, I need to do more photography, actually, um, than, I, than I actually do. Um, you talk about self improvement. I'm I'm curious how your photography fits into your three five fifty philosophy, and, and what is that all about?
2: So three is three hours a day, five days a week, fifty weeks out of a year. Um, and if you add that up, that's seven hundred and fifty hours. Uh, when I speak to colleges and and high schools and so forth, uh, students there. I always mention this, that they're going to end up with the same degree as pretty much everybody there. They're going to end up with the the same classes. Some of them are going to finish higher GPA, some of them lower GPA. But what can they truly do to differentiate themselves and put themselves personally, uh, and professionally ahead or to gain more knowledge? And that's three hours a day, five days a week, 50 day, weeks out of a year. Now, some The first thing that people say is, I don't have three hours a week. Let me clarify. What I constitute as personal or professional development is very broad. Mm-hmm. So it it means making choices about if you're driving to and from work, listening to something like a podcast that is empowering and educational to you instead of just music. That means staying up an hour or two later in the evening, to apply yourself to learning a thing, to trying to, so like for me, you know, I desperately wanted to get out of uh, the sales environment that I was before. So I wanted to learn Photoshop. So that meant I could either go take a course, spend money, drudge through a whole bunch of things, or I could take an additional piece of time and do it on my own. And now people have no excuses for not learning this stuff because there's literally YouTube videos all over the place that will teach you this stuff. So, but if you can't even, if you can't do three hours, if you can't eat lunch at your desk and watch something, if you can't listen to the radio uh, doing that, if you can't avoid using the newspaper and instead read uh, you know, books and so forth like that, for three hours, at least do one 550 because one hour a day, five days a week, 50 weeks out of a year is 250 hours. Mm-hmm. And then of course, uh, you you specifically said about the photography, apply it to something that brings you joy and or uh, purpose. So Right now, I'll be perfectly honest with everybody. I am really struggling through this whole COVID thing with my photography. I can't go to the places that I really want to go. I don't feel comfortable going uh, to the places I want to go. A lot of the events that I would shoot during the year uh, are no longer uh, occurring. So I can't go do street photography because mm. it, it's, I mean, their performers just aren't out. We don't have the events that we normally did. Um, but then that's okay. Wait for the opportunity to when you are passionate about it and then jump on it and, and have a purpose, try and have a goal. I taught myself HTML. I taught myself how to do web development because I was passionate about it um, because I wanted to figure it out. So anyway, find something that you, that you really want to know how to do And then do it. And I think this kind of goes along, and Jesse specifically, this kind of goes back to a point that we were talking a little bit earlier about, which is everybody has value. Everybody – there are people that are listening that know things that I don't have a clue about. Now, maybe that's crochet, and I don't care about crochet. (laughs) But that doesn't mean that you're not valuable or have experience that you can pass to somebody else on a subject matter, right? So we were joking about experts, right, in um, education. Well, education never meant going to a formalized institution for a certain period of time. It means learning things and bettering yourself. It learns means becoming proficient. Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hours is misquoted and misrepresented all the time. You don't need 10,000 hours to prove proficiency. It happens to be a a marker, which generally is when that starts to occur for things. But you can't apply that to everything. I feel like I'm rambling now. But anyway, the point being (laughs) is everybody knows something that I don't know and that they could teach and that they're good at. And that's they should accept that as something valuable and then improve upon it.
0: Yeah. And you're also the second guest to recommend Malcolm Gladwell. Malcolm Gladwell, not a sponsor.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And and I was going to say, don't worry. Whenever you and I get to finally meet in person, Kevin, uh, I will teach you the little macrame that I know.
2: I appreciate that.
1: I got you. I got you back, buddy.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I, I am. I am so looking forward to making a pot holder or yeah. some thing. I like usually
1: that. make necklaces, but if you want a pot holder, we'll figure something out. And you know, it's after all these years, we're definitely not going to take a photo walk, which I would love nothing more than to do. Mm-hmm. But when we finally meet each other uh, in person, it's it's macrame time. Let's do this.
2: What have I done?
1: Oh yeah. Game on buddy. I, I, I can teach you guys how to sleep. That's pretty much my, hey, my, my proficiency. We, we would both hate that.
2: You know, my body ends up taking care of it. Uh, but man, I struggle like a son of a gun to stop it.
1: <laughs> After the kid, I gave in, I fell asleep sitting up the other day. Uh, it was crazy. <laughs> now here's something that I was kind of interested in and I, it's something that I I brought up during my recommendation section. And I'm, I'm a complete believer with you. We've had several conversations about how it's not the gear that makes the photo. It's the eye. It's what you do. It's your process. Um, I'm a big believer in the eye is the most valuable piece of photo gear you have. What are your feelings on self, self-applied restrictions?
2: I, I'm a big fan of people... Applying whatever tricks or tactics help them achieve the goals that they're trying to achieve. So, for example, when somebody says, well, just go shoot with one lens for a day. All right. There's a percentage of people that that will help, that that technique would actually benefit. There are other people that will learn not a daggum thing from doing that.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: So does that mean it's not a valuable thing? technique? Or does it mean that it won't work for everybody? It actually means it won't work for everybody. So you can say, all I'm going to shoot today is macro. That's great. You'll probably be better at macro at the end of the day than you were at the beginning of the day. But that doesn't mean that you'll enjoy it. And it doesn't mean that you'll apply it in the future, but there's no harm in doing it. Uh, uh, Interestingly, I've had what's called a, a star tracker, for about a year and a half now, and I've never used it. It <laughs> intimidated me. I didn't. The the setup was not clear, and it was it was really laziness. It was, but anyway, the other day I finally decided I we've got a moonless night. I am going to go out and I'm going to shoot with this tracker. It's ridiculous to have this $250 gizmo sitting here and have not used it. And I came back knowing more than what I did when I went out that night. But that doesn't mean I'm going to go through that hassle every time that I want to do Milky Way photography because it increases the processing time. Basically, for those that are unfamiliar, is the Earth is rotating, right? And so the stars move. So if you do a a 40-second... one minute, two minute long exposure at night, all of the stars look like they're zipping around in a circular fashion up there. So to overcome the, the noise that's generated by a camera, what if you could track the stars? And that's what happens with a star tracker. It literally follows the exact rotation of the, you point it at the north star, and then it, which everything circles around, and then it it tracks the stars. And now you have perfectly pinpoint stars for two-minute exposure instead of a uh, 30-second exposure. Well, just like a garden hose, if you let a garden hose run for two minutes, you're gonna have more water on the ground than you would if you let it run for 30 seconds. Substitute the water for light, now you understand. The more light you let in, the, the brighter a nighttime scene will seem. OK, you could always get a bigger hose, but bigger hoses are expensive, <laughs> really expensive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so anyway, the problem becomes is now you have a rotating camera. What's going to happen to things that aren't rotating? They're going to become blurry, which means that your foreground element, a barn and field in my case, is now blurry. So you have to take one picture for the ground, one picture for the stars, one using the star tracker, one not using it, and then you need to composite them together. It's still exactly what our eyes saw, but you're, you're using technology to overcome a technical limitation. But anyway, having done that, I now know you just have to go out and do it. You just have to go try things.
1: That's awesome. That's, that's, that's a super cool tool. I always get a little motion sick looking at
0: those photos. though. was like, oh, my gosh, we are really rotating really quickly and we're moving through space. Uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, and the thing what people don't realize is uh, – so let's – we're going back to the joke about straight out of camera, right? The, the, there's this whole movement of people who thinks that everything should be straight out of camera. Well, long exposure isn't what your eyes saw. It could be straight out of the camera, but it doesn't mean that it's what your eyes saw. Your mm-hmm. eyes didn't see all of the stars connected into a circle, right? Your eyes don't see tail lights. Um, Jesse, do you remember the the shot from Matt Satala mm-hmm. uh, who he he went by me in his in his SUV out by Superstition Mountains, and I took a long exposure shot so you have his vehicle lights trailing towards superstition mountains and um well your eye didn't see that so it doesn't matter whether it came straight out of camera that way or not it's a visual representation it's a trick of the uh, utilizing the tools
1: and if your eye sees that go to the doctor please
2: yeah yeah you're Uh, gonna you're gonna want to have that looked at
1: you've probably got some eye pressure issues you're gonna want to look into (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, <laughs> I think uh, looking at the clock I believe we are at the uh, the now famous lightning round lightning round
0: yeah we are yeah this is uh, Kevin you've, you've listened to the show before so you know what we're doing here basically we're just we have so many different guests and we're trying to find that one unifying point what are three questions we can ask all of our guests uh, and uh, see what everybody has to say Uh, Sometimes it's a really cool answer. Sometimes it's just no, like with Gary. (laughs) Um, So that's Uh, that's, Gary. That's always a lot of fun. So you're ready for the questions. Sure. All right. Here we go. Question starting. How do you think your hobbies have contributed to your success in your full time work?
2: So this one's a a little sidestepping, but I, I joke that my parents and teachers were completely wrong about me being a class clown and wasting hours for cultural reference material, i.e. TV, movies, games, uh, Star Wars, um, and uh, being snarky because I use that every single day in content development, uh, particularly with certain client posts. So it's it's not really a hobby, but it's um, – I think it's more
0: germane to this. Nice. If you could be one fictional character, who would it be?
2: You know, it's funny. I'd, I'd love to say One Punch Man or Darth Vader.
0: Nice. Uh,
2: particularly, actually, I, I when I say Darth Vader, I'd like to have been Anakin when uh, during the time of the Clone Wars when he was paired up with Ahsoka because Ahsoka is mm. just like one of my favorite characters. But she's awesome. Um, but I'm I'm actually gonna say uh, Uncle Iroh from Avatar is a is a more realistic oh. presentation.
0: Nice. Great reference. A lot of people have been watching the Avatar series on Netflix here recently and have have finally been been loving it. It's great. What are uh, what other interests would you like to pursue if time wasn't a constraint?
2: Well other than time travel um, and the <laughs> quest for a light working lightsaber. Um, I I think realistically, I I really wish I would have, I can only pick one, can I? Um, I I really wish I would have taken up an instrument. Uh, I I tried a few times, but that would have been nice. Specifically, um, guitar. I think I would have really, really would have enjoyed doing that.
1: Yeah. It's never too late.
0: It's never too late, and you can finally be the guy that shows up at a party with a guitar and gets all the chicks to sit <laughs> around him.
2: so I got that going for me.
0: Got that going for you. <laughs> all right. Well, that is the uh, that is this week's lightning round. So we didn't get in get, in, get didn't get into the Star Wars stuff. I think we might have to have you back at least to talk about Star Wars at some point for sure.
2: You know, it's it's funny about Star Wars. I, I'll give you guys an. Uh a pass on that because, uh, or maybe that's the wrong way of saying it, but (laughs) your previous guest was so informative about that. Mm -hmm. What what my Star Wars infatuation, uh, which goes back to when I was a kid, is more about how that makes me feel um, than it is about what I can recall at any one given time. Mm. And I think that people that me being able to recall that a you know TK421 has no relevance really to how much that series meant to me uh when it came out mm-hmm. uh not the least of which is um when somebody says to me well there's no strong female characters in in star wars and i say what are you talking about there was a short princess that told a huge alien creature to get out of its way Mm
3: -hmm, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. to
2: get out of her way. You know, (laughs) it it was an impressionable, important time. Um, And then watching all all of the, you know, the Clone Wars. But I didn't read the books. I'm Mm. not as knowledgeable about the series as some would like. Now, that being said, I did wait 26 hours in line for tickets to episode one. Oh. Uh, I was the first guy in line for that viewing by many, many hours. Um, I was the first guy in line and waited two and a half days, camped out at the movie theater. We showed, uh, troops and other funny things on the wall on the side of the, the theater to, to the masses there, um, for the last one. Uh, well, I'm sorry. Well, that would be episode three when that came out. So I, I'm like hardcore Star Wars, but uh, sometimes people are amazed that I, I it's not like I'm deeply into it to the level that some people
0: are. Misa thinking you's a uh, good fan, though.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I will eat George Lucas's uh, table scraps as long as he will shove them in my direction on the floor.
1: <laughs> <laughs> See, i think uh and we talked about it a little bit on the show you're referring to and a couple episodes that we have recorded that are about to come out but we are we're talking about doing a star wars panel episode where we just bring on everyone that likes it that we know and we just kind of talk about it for a couple hours so if you'll have it we'll definitely be reaching out to you to be on man
2: i i would be happy to discuss that or many other epi- or other, uh Subjects. Uh, This has been really enjoyable. Uh, I appreciate both of you guys so much and what you're doing. And, and I, I like the concept of this as well. I mean, I like the, the idea because I think it fits very much with my, my thinking is you're trying to help people, not just professionally, but to really think of uh, personal betterment and uh, improving themselves. And that's, that's always a win in my book.
1: That's, that's definitely the goal, especially in these trying pandemic-ridden times. So, well, with that, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on, and, and thank you for being a guest. We'll definitely have you on a, again soon, sir.
2: Oh, the honor is mine.
0: This has been the Austin Otaku Podcast. To learn more about us and our show, to be a guest, or to subscribe to our show, go to www.austinotaku.com and follow us on Facebook and Twitter.